The story of Ruth is, uh, is pretty, pretty beautiful, isn't it? It's pretty wonderful. 
Last week we looked at Ruth chapter 1 and Rich did a great job of, of opening up this series. And today we're going to take a look at Ruth chapter 2 and, and kind of pick it up there. If you're like me, you've been watching a lot of basketball this weekend, right? In, in case you're not aware, there's something called March Madness happening, right? It's a basketball tournament, lots of college teams. And uh, last night IU came back and won their game. That was awesome, right? Any IU fans out there? Okay, yeah, it's good. One of the reasons that this tournament is so wonderful, it's so great, is because there's a chance for anyone to win it. Even, even those who are, who are from small schools have a chance to knock off the big schools like Duke, right? And it's great. It's great when those small schools beat those big schools because there's something inside of us as human beings. We love to root for the underdog, right? We love to root for the David to beat the Goliath. We love that story of a Cinderella, And this story, Ruth, is so much a story like that. It is so much a Cinderella story. Let's pick it up in Ruth chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, please open them today to Ruth 2. If you need a Bible, if you just raise your hand, we have ushers that will come in the link and in the main, and they will give you a Bible so that you can follow along today. Ruth chapter 2. We'll begin reading verse 1. But uh, last week we looked at Ruth 1, and we were introduced to this family. Naomi and her husband Elimelech. They leave Israel and they go to Moab. There's a famine happening in the country of Israel. And this is during the time of the judges. Not many people are following God. And Naomi's and Elimelech family is not following God either. In fact, they say, we can't trust God anymore. He will not take care of us. We are going to Moab where we can find food. While they're there, Naomi's husband dies. Elimelech, right? Remember that? And, and then her two sons die as well. And so Naomi goes to Moab with a family and leaves with none. She does have, though, one daughter-in-law. Her name is Ruth, who the book is named after, who is a Moabite woman. And she promises that she will stay with Naomi, that she will go back to Israel with her. And it is a story of wonderful commitment and loyalty that Rich looked at last week with us. And that's where we're going to pick it up today in chapter 2 and verse 1. I'll pick it up there with you. <clears throat> now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. Now let me stop there. We're introduced to a a man who's going to be a major player in this story. His name is Boaz. And he's going to become one of the major players. But all we know so far at this point is that he was a relative of Elimelech, right? He was a relative of Naomi's dead husband. And he was a man of standing, the NIV says. It literally means in the Hebrew, he was a, a man of valor, He was a man's man, a dude of dudes. He was well-respected. He was a guy that other guys liked. That's what we know about him so far. And so when Naomi comes back here to Bethlehem, to this town, she's been gone about 10 years. And now she comes back, her and Ruth, and in that culture, as women without husbands or sons... There is no opportunity for them to have any kind of gainful employment. No opportunity to provide. And so they are going to do what, what, what beggars do. They can go to a field. And Israel was an agricultural type community. And so they're going to go to the field. And what they would do when they would harvest a field, they would let the corners of the field unharvested. The workers would. And then those who were in need, those who were destitute, could go into the corners, the small corners of the field, and whatever grain they could pick, that was theirs. That was how they provided for themselves, for their families. And so Ruth is going to go and do that. They are beggars at this point. Let's pick it up in verse 3. So she went out, and she began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. As it turns out, She found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they called back. So Ruth goes out and she starts looking at the different fields. And she goes to one, she goes to another. She comes across this field. 
And she begins to work in it. And what do we know? As it turns out, it becomes, it is the field of Boaz. This man who we were introduced earlier as a relative of Naomi's, their family. I love when God speaks in the language of humans. God has this plan. He has it all mapped out. He's working behind the scenes. But he says, as it turned out, it just so happened that Ruth happened to pick the field of Boaz. That's how we see things, right? As a coincidence. It just so happened that this happened and, and then this happened. It was exactly what I needed. It just so happened. God is behind the scenes working, moving, and guiding all these things into place on our behalf. And that is called providence, and we'll talk about that later. And in verse 4, it happens again because we see the verse two words, just then. Boaz arrives from Bethlehem and greets his harvesters. At the same time, right, that Ruth is there working in the field, Boaz happens to show up and he owns this field. Just then he comes and he sees her, right? They, they meet. This is, it's like it was supposed to be. It's because it was. God's behind the scenes at work just then. And we learn that Boaz from this story is a man of God, right? He shows up at work and he says, the Lord be with you, right? And they respond back, the Lord bless you. How many of you, when you show up to work tomorrow morning, that's what your boss is going to say to you, right? You get to the line at 5 a.m. and the team leader says, the Lord be with you, right? And you yell back, the Lord bless you, right? My boss doesn't even talk to me like that. If I showed up and he says that to me, I'm thinking, what's he planning? Why is he being so nice to me? I can't trust this man. Why is he being nice? Right? Right? And they're like, the Lord bless you. It's weird to us, but it was normal to them. They knew how to respond. And what does that show us? That Boaz was a man of God. He was a man of faith. That was a normal thing, that he would treat his employees that way. And God was a major part of his life. And so he is a man of God. And remember, this is a time in history of Israel where there aren't many men of God and women of God. Right? This is during the time of the judges when they're walking away in the cycle of sin. And here is this man, Boaz, who is a believer in God and is a man of God to the point that he is public about his faith. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they say. Let's pick it up, verse 5. Boaz asked the foreman of his harvesters, whose young woman is that? The foreman replied, she is the Moabitess who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She went into the field and has worked steadily from morning until now, except for a short rest in the shelter. Boaz comes to the field that he owns and he's checking things out. He's looking across the field and he sees this girl. And he says, who is that? Who is that? Now, before we get too into thinking he was like checking her out, I mean, he was, but before we get too far ahead of ourselves, we have to remember what Ruth is doing, okay? She has been working in the field all day. She's not looking her best, okay? She's working in the field all day. She hadn't, she didn't know he was coming. And so she didn't have the four hours it normally takes for a woman to look her best, right? There was no shower. There was no razor for her legs. There was no antiperspirant. And she's out in the hot field, the hot sun. There was no hair straightener. There was no paint, right? She's wearing her peasant best. And Boaz notices her, and the foreman notices her. And it's not for her looks. Why do they notice her? For her character. For her character. Single men, you would be wise as you are looking for a woman to look for one who has character. Right? She's hot. That's great. I'm glad she's hot, but does she have character? Right? If you like hot, you can move to Florida. Right? 
But if you want to get married, she better have character. And I'm not just saying looks don't count. You know, guys that say that, pastors them say, it's all about character, looks don't count. I'm not sure their wives like that. I'm not sure their wives like when they say that. Well, looks don't count. No, they do count. But a woman who is beautiful on the inside is also beautiful on the outside. And young men, and older men who are single, you'd do well to look for a woman of character. Boaz notices her. I love this story. Here's this beggar girl, right? And she just happens to come across the field of the rich single guy in town. And he just happens to love Jesus, right? It's pretty awesome. Well, Ruth goes to work. Let's take a look at verse uh, 8, where Boaz starts talking to Ruth. Boaz says to Ruth in verse 8, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field. Don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the girls. I have told the men not to touch you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this she bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Ruth goes in verse 2. She's, she's a beggar. And now by verse 10, she is being accepted as a part of this community, right? Boaz is going way past what the law required of him. The law said you need to leave the corners of the fields. He's going way past that, right? Now he is offering her protection and he is offering her employee benefits, right? He's saying you can have more. The gleaners would normally come in after the harvesters were done. But Ruth is welcome to come right with them, right with his own staff, right with his own working men and ladies. She bows down to the ground. She shows humility. But she also wants to know, right? She asks a question, why are you being so nice to me? She says to Boaz, right? Despite Ruth's lack of rights in this scenario here, despite her, the lowness that she is compared to this wealthy man, she is also, she still is curious as to why he is being nice to her. She wants to know his agenda. And I said earlier uh, something for, this, for the single guys. Let me say something to the single ladies here right now. All the single ladies, all the single ladies, listen. All the single ladies, listen up. You would do well if a man is showing interest in you to step back and ask yourself why. She wants to know what are your motives, right? Don't be that girl. Don't be that woman. When a man says hi to you, you're like, yeah, I'll marry you. I just said hi. Okay, when do you want to get married? You better step back and ask, why is this man showing you attention? What is his agenda? And is his motive righteous? Right? Is his motive righteous? She asks, why are you being so kind to me? Verse 11, Boaz replies, I have been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother and your homeland and you came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. I love this. Boaz comes, he responds to her, he praises her, and then do you know what he does? He prays for her. He's a spiritual leader. And he says, before this relationship goes any further, I'd just like to stop and pray. Again, single ladies, you would do well to look for a man who will be a spiritual leader in your relationship. That is the standard you must set 
for yourself. And that you must look for Boaz praise. Right? He's a lot better than my son, Elisha. He's six. He's, he's a preschooler. And one night at dinner, not too long ago, we're sitting at dinner and Ethan, my other son, says, hey, Ezra says Elisha has a girlfriend at school, at preschool. And we kind of discourage preschool romance in our family. <laughs> and so, and so I, I, my ears kind of perk up to this. And I'm like, Elisha, is that true, buddy? You know, do you have a girlfriend? And he says, yeah, it's McKenna. I'm like, Elisha, why, why is McKenna your girlfriend? He says, I don't know. She told me. <laughs> he is not a spiritual leader yet, right? He is not the one in charge. Boaz was a lot better. Boaz was a spiritual leader. He was said, we need to pray before this thing goes any further, right? I like that. And then I love this image that he gives of God in verse 12. Don't tell Elisha I said. He had this image here in verse 12 where he says, the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Here's a beautiful picture of God and his wings as he spreads them out and he brings those under his protection, those who need protection, those who need care, those who are vulnerable, he takes under his wing. It's an image of God that is all over the Psalms as God is this protector with this wing. And I love, I love that God is like a wing because I like wings. I'll probably eat some wings today watching (laughs) basketball, right? And I love that God is like a wing because I can watch basketball and I can eat wings and I can think about God, right? And so today, after this service, We can have another worship service at Buffalo Wild Wings (laughs) as we think about our God and we partake in wings. All right, we'll stop. (laughs) Verse verse 14. At mealtime, Boaz says to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. I'm so glad that we have sauce and ranch and salsa today. Dip it in the wine vinegar. No thanks, said John. Uh, When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all that she wanted and she had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Rather, pull out some stalks from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up. And don't rebuke her. You know, Boaz continues to go out of his way, right? To show just unbelievable, over-the-top kindness to this girl. He's a godly man. He, he is a genuinely nice guy. But at some point, if you're like me, you're reading the story and saying, come on. Come on. I mean, that's it's a little too much. I think you got, you got you know, a little agenda there, Boaz. You're thinking she... She's make a good wife, right? She'd be all right. And I like that. Regardless of his motives, I like what he does. He basically gets all the young men together, right? He says, come here, guys. Come around. Come here. And they all get together, and he says, you know, Ruth, the new one? She's she's pretty fine, right? And, And they're like, yeah, yeah, she is. Yeah. He's like, listen, listen. If any of you touch her, it'll be really bad for you. Okay, okay, right? He says, listen, listen, I'm Boaz, all right? I own this field, it's, and it's a really big field. Like, like, they'll never find your body, okay? <laughs> so, like, you know, no one's gonna mess with her, right? We all, we all understand? This is what he does, right? He says, nobody rebuke her, nobody embarrass her. Do not even touch her, he says, right? He protects her. Boaz, as we keep going through the story, Chapter 3, chapter 4, we're going to see that Boaz is a picture of Jesus to us. His over-the-top goodness to Ruth is the same over-the-top goodness that God shows us every single day. Over-the-top goodness that God shows to us every single day. Let's finish this story here. Verse 17, chapter 2. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. 
Then she threshed the barley that she had gathered, and uh, it amounted to, amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over as she had gotten after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. That's actually towards God, she says that. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, this man is our close relative. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. So you got to see, Naomi didn't know if Ruth was coming back, to be honest with you. She had no rights. She could have been hurt. She could have been, been, been assaulted in one of those fields. And she comes back and, and she has enough food for her and for Naomi. And, and an ephah is enough of grain to last them several weeks. In the morning she has nothing and now they are taken care of. Have you ever seen someone eat who hasn't eaten for a long time? That is the picture right here. God has come through and has provided. And Naomi begins to see that God's hand is not against her, but might even be with her. And Ruth continues, verse 21, He even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with these girls because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the servant girls of Boaz to glean until the barley and the wheat harvests were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. That period of time, those two harvests were gonna be about seven weeks. And so God has come through for them. They would have, she would have to work hard, but God had provided for them. What a beautiful story. But what does this mean for us 3,000 years later? This, this beautiful budding romance from the Middle East, this beautiful story of this family struggling through life. I want to share with you guys today just two principles, right? Two basic theological truths about God. The word theology simply means the study of God. So two things about God, two principles. Number one is this. God is provident. Now, provident is not a word that we use very often. In fact, I don't think I've ever said that word outside of church. Providence, what does that mean? God is provident. Providence is said uh, to mean this, that God sustains the world that he has created and directs it to its appointed destiny. So God sustains the world that he created and he appoints all the affairs, all the happenings within that world so that it will come out to his appointed destiny. And it goes beyond the idea of of a general power which preserves cosmic life and order. No, God is specifically active in each of his creations, including us human beings. He is active in each of our lives. He is working behind the scenes, making things be the way they're supposed to be, to turn out for us his creation. He is provident. That's what that means. He is provident. And even as we have learned through science the laws of nature and how things work, we have have discovered that God placed all those things. A creator placed all those laws within nature so that stuff works the way it's supposed to. And sometimes God even breaks his laws of nature. We call that a miracle to bring about his purpose, what he wants to do. In other words, God is firmly in control of your life. God is firmly in control of the plots and the pits of your life. Naomi and Ruth are learning this in this story. Now, his plan might not always match our plan, but it is always the best plan. His plan might not always match our plan, but it is still always the best plan. 
Ruth and Naomi would have loved to skip chapter one of this story where their husbands die, where they are beggars, where they have nothing. But unless they're in chapter one, they can never get to chapter two. And in our lives, it is the same way. Our plan doesn't always match God's plan, but I'm telling you, it is always the best plan. It is always the best plan. God is firmly in control of our lives. Aren't you glad for providence? Our view of life is so different than God's. I look at life, I see so many events as random and chance, and it just happened, right? Like, like on Monday, I exercise. On, on Tuesday, I eat a cheeseburger. On Wednesday, I drop my kids off at school. On Thursday, I talk to a lady on the phone from Indianapolis. On Friday, I, I got dressed. I noticed something on my shirt, so I took it off and put another shirt on. Those events to me seem random, but somehow God is in the details of my life working those things out so that I'm supposed to talk to this lady on Thursday in Indianapolis. She needs to hear something I had to say to her. And I'm supposed to wear the shirt that I second, put on second on Friday morning so that someone will ask me about it later that day. See, God is at work behind that stuff. It is not random. It is not chance. It is providence. And it is God behind the scenes. That's amazing. See, when we look at the events of our lives, it looks to us like the back of something that's been sewn or put together or knit. It, it doesn't, we can't quite see the pattern. It looks like a mess of strings. It looks unpleasant. It looks unattractive, right? It looks full of mistakes. It's messy. And it doesn't seem to fit together very well. This is our view of our lives. I'm thinking, I'm looking up at the bottom of this thing and I'm saying, God, what are you doing? I, I don't see your pattern. It doesn't make sense. But God's view is so different than ours. When he looks down at our lives, he sees what he is doing. He sees how all of the strings are supposed to go. And he sees this beautiful tapestry, this beautiful piece of work that he is making. And he sees how it all fits together. We see this, we say, God, my life is a mess. It's a jumbled bunch of strings. God says, no, I'm making a beautiful tapestry. Everything has purpose that's happening. Every piece of string, there's no mess. It's not jumbled. It's on purpose. That is God's providence in my life. And I'm so glad for it, aren't you? I'm so glad for God's providence. You see, the same God who, who, who led the wise men, I love the Christmas story, who led the wise men, the Magi, to a particular house in Bethlehem so that they could meet the Christ, the baby Jesus, is the same God who led Ruth to a particular field in Bethlehem a thousand years earlier so that she could meet Boaz. And it is the same God who leads the particular details of your life and my life. And he is weaving them into a beautiful piece of art. That is providence. That is amazing. And that is our God. What? Uh, the same God, right. Guys, the particular events of your lives as well. Let me show you how that works. Acts 17, 26 will show you that this is true. Acts 17, 26, I'll read for you this verse. says, from one man, this is Paul explaining God to a bunch of people who aren't yet believers in God. From one man, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. You see, your life, my life, is not a jumble of random events thrown together. We're not tossed about on some ocean to some deserted island. I didn't know where it was going to happen. I just kind of came to Goshen, to Indiana. It just kind of bounced around. This is the way it worked. No, no, you are in the palm of a providential and loving God who is at work behind the scenes on your behalf. Your life is not random. Your life is not chance. 
God determined the exact times, the exact places where you would live, how you would live, who you would meet, our conversations, our friends, our work. It seems so random. I want to tell you that God is at work behind the scenes and God is at work in your life. What is our response to God's providence? What is our response? Let me tell you a story to show God's providence. No, I'll answer that question. I met this week a woman. Her name is Connie. She's a part of Grace, and she's coming into membership next Sunday. And I got a chance to hear her story a couple decades ago. She's a single mom struggling through life from the time when there weren't many, as many single moms. And she's struggling. And she is desperate, hitting the bottom of the barrel. And, and she turns to a friend who's a Christian and she says, I need help, I need answers. And her friend gives her some scriptures to read. She reads them. But it's hard for her to believe. It's hard for her to trust God, to believe that this is true, what she's reading. A few weeks later, she goes, she gets invited to another friend's house and she's watching a football game. She's watching the Bears on TV. She's eating some wings while she's watching the Bears on TV. No, I don't know that part's true. She's watching the game. And at the moment she's watching the game, she sees a man in the stands in the 50-yard line hold up a sign that says, read John 3, 3. She can't remember what happened to that game. She can't remember the details of, of, of who won or what plays. But she felt like that message was for her. She runs home. She looks up John 3, 3. And she realizes she needs God in her life. She needs to be born again to be a part of the family of God. At that moment, her life has changed. She becomes a follower of Jesus. And now she is a very different person because of what God did in her life. She is a fiery, fun grandma. She's awesome. And, and her and I are going to hang out when we go to Asia's Hope in a few months. And I'm looking forward to that trip, hanging out with her. You step back and you think about all the events that happened in her life for that moment. She has a friend who, who is a Christian who's in her life when she is hitting a hard spot, who gives her some truth, lays a foundation for her. She goes to another friend's house to watch a football game. And that morning, God had woken up a season ticket holder of the Bears and said, I want you to write a sign that says, read John 3, 3. Man, I just want to watch the game. Jesus says, write the sign. The man writes the sign. He holds it up. At the same time, he's holding it up. A camera is panning past. God taps the shoulder of the cameraman. It stops and zooms in. At the same time, Connie's putting down her chicken wing. She looks into the TV. And she realizes God is speaking to her. That is God's providence. What is our response to that? First of all, we need to have our eyes opened to look for God's providence in our lives. To look for his hand at work behind the scenes. Boaz, when he wakes up in the morning, he's a man of God. He is willing to look for what God wants to do in his life and through him that day. And so when he comes to meet this woman, he is ready. His eyes are open to see God at work behind the scenes. And he is ready to, to, see, to, uh, to answer the needs that she has. And he prays for her. Right? In verse uh, 12, he prays for her. He prays for her to be rewarded, to be blessed, to be cared for, to be protected. And then what happens? Boaz cares for her. Boaz protects her. Boaz blesses her. Boaz rewards her. You see, he becomes the answer to his own prayer. We need to be willing to be the visible hand of Jesus when his is the invisible hand of providence. We need to be willing to be the visible hand of Jesus when his is the invisible hand of providence, like that man who held the sign at that football game. See, sometimes we pray, and God does something amazing. He does a miracle. He changes the situation. He answers the prayer that way, and it's amazing. But sometimes when we pray, God changes the heart of the prayer, of the one who is praying. 
And God moves in us to become the answer to that prayer. Often the providence of God works through God's people. God is at work behind the scenes in the life of Naomi, in the life of Ruth. And then he uses this man, this man of God, Boaz, to be the answer to his own prayer on their behalf. God's providence often works through God's people. So our response is to trust in God's hand of providence, to look for it, to have our eyes open to it, and then to join in his hand when he leads us, to be the visible hand of Jesus when his is the invisible hand of providence. God was at work behind the scenes the whole time for Ruth and Naomi, and I want to tell you that God is at work behind the scenes in your life as well. He is at work when you can't see him. Don't you love those it just so happened stories that when this happened, it was the same time that I needed this and and it just all worked out and I can't explain it. That's not coincidence. That's not chance. That is providence. That is God behind the scenes. And if our eyes are open to it, we will see God's providential hand throughout our lives all the time, working on our behalf. Well, there's a second thing that I want to say. This, then I'll, I'll, uh, last thing I want to say. One, God is provident. Two, God is gracious. God is gracious. Now, we understand graciousness a lot more than we understand providence. We, we say that word quite a bit more. But when it comes to God's grace towards us, let me define grace this way. God's grace towards us as humans is this. God's generous initiative That means he initiates it. God's generous initiative and sustaining faithfulness, okay? God keeps the relationship going. It's his generous initiative and it is his sustaining faithfulness which culminates in our salvation. So it is God's generous initiative and sustaining faithfulness culminating in our salvation, When we look back at the text, we see that Boaz goes way past what the law required of him, right? He only had to leave the corners for her and the other gleaners. He goes way past, way over the top. He says, come on in and work right alongside my workers. You don't have to wait till they're done. And then he even tells his staff, right, in verse 16, to drop extra stalks on purpose so that she will have plenty. He goes way over the top, way beyond what he's supposed to do. And what is Ruth's response? Verse 10, she gets on the ground. She bows low to the ground. She is surprised at his response to her, at his his attitude towards her, how he's acting. She is jaw-dropped, shocked. Why? Watch. She is surprised because she expected the exact opposite treatment. That's why she's surprised. She didn't know if she would even be allowed to to work there. She could have just been kicked off the field. She could have been just assaulted. She had no rights. No one has said a thing. She expected the exact opposite treatment. Boaz goes way beyond, and she is jaw-dropped, shocked. And isn't that how God treats us? He goes beyond what the law requires of him, all the way to grace. When we deserve the law, he offers us grace. And we see he is over the top in his graciousness. He gives us more than we deserve. We have made so many mistakes. We have done so many things to to kick dirt in the face of God. At least I have. And yet he offers to me grace. And when you and I realize that, our jaws drop. Our jaws drop. That's our response to grace. God, I don't deserve this. God, I'm a mess. God, I have turned my back on you so many times. I've taken things into my own hands and done it my way so many times. God, why would you offer me grace? But he does. 
and it's over the top. His goodness is more than we expect, so much more than we deserve. Boaz becomes a picture of God, and he goes past the requirements of the law, and he extends grace. I want to show you what grace is. Cassie, would you come on up here for a second? You know what? Right here. Nothing is better. You see right here? Nothing is better on an 80 degree March day. An 80 degree March day than ice cream. Right? You know what? I eat ice cream other marches too. Even when it's not 80 degrees. I eat it a lot. Do you like ice cream? Yeah, Cassie, I told you if you came up here and would help me, I would give you this ice cream. So I'm going to give you that, okay? That's yours. Cassie, do you like ice cream? You do? That's good, because I just gave you some. How old are you, Cassie? How old are you? You're six? You're six? I have a six-year-old son. His name is Elisha, but he's already taken by McKenna. (laughs) Now, Cassie, you like ice cream. Would you like even more than ice cream? Would you like an ice cream sundae? You're not sure? Do you, would you like chocolate syrup on your ice cream? Yeah, you would like that? Is that cool? Let me get some. You sit right there. I have some right back here. I have lots of stuff in here. Do you like caramel or do you like chocolate? What would you like? I have both. Chocolate? Okay, good woman. Good choice. All right, you tell me when. Stop right there. Okay, perfect. Good job. Now, on your chocolate sundae, would you like sprinkles? Yeah. Yeah. I like sprinkles too. These are the vegetable kind. These vitamins and all kinds of good stuff in there. All right. Sprinkles, chocolate. Would you like whipped cream on your sundae? Yeah. I thought so. All right. Is that good or would you like more? That's good. Okay. Way to show restraint. Good job. Now, Cassie, I want to explain something to you, okay? We're friends, right? You came up here expecting to get ice cream, right? And now you have a Sunday. More than you expected. That is God's grace. He loves you more than you expect, more than you and I deserve. That's how much God loves you. Isn't that awesome? In fact, Cassie, God's grace is so unexpected, and it is so much more than we deserve. I actually have something in my pocket for your whole family to go to Dairy Queen today. So you can all get a Sunday at Dairy Queen today. Does that sound good? Okay, will you give that to your dad sitting over there? Yeah, you can go back to your seat. That is God's grace. That is God's grace. Thanks, Cassie. It is much, much more than we deserve, isn't it? God's grace is so much more than we expect. See, because I'm kind of like Ruth. When I see who I really am compared to who God really is, I'm, I'm... I'm a little fearful of God. I don't deserve his grace. I don't deserve his love, his mercy. And yet he gives it to me. And so my response is to turn from myself to put my eyes on him. The appropriate response to God's providence is to be the visible hand of Jesus when his is the invisible hand of providence And the appropriate response to God's grace is to turn from self-pity to praise. To turn from self-pity to praise. To take our eyes off of ourselves and to put them on God. Let me show you how that works and I'll close with this. In Ruth chapter 1, verse 20. I want you to turn there. Ruth chapter 1, verse 20. Naomi comes back to Bethlehem and they say, Isn't that Naomi? Isn't that Naomi? Name means joy. She says, don't call me Naomi, right? In verse 20, call me Mara, 
Because the Almighty has made my life very what? Bitter. Mara means bitter. Call me bitter. I'm bitter. And then you see in chapter 2, verse 20, it's, un- it's interesting. 120 compared to 220, because I think God wants us to see it. Naomi responds after Ruth comes back from her day of work. The Lord bless him. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, and then speaking to God, she said about God, she says, He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She thought that God had turned his back on her because she and her family had turned their backs on him. She thought that God had punished her and that's why her husband was dead. And she realized now in this moment, he never stopped showing his kindness to her husband or to her. Chapter two couldn't have happened if chapter one hadn't happened. God was at work behind the scenes the entire time. And she, her eyes are open to see God's providence. She receives his grace and she turns from self-pity to praise. And that is the appropriate response in our lives. Now listen, there are, there are gonna be times when we go through a difficult time in our life. Okay, that's happening right now in our church. That's happening right now in my family. And there, there is a time for self-pity. Because if you, don't, if you don't really admit there's some kind of problem or some kind of hurt, you can't work through it. But then there must come a time when you turn from self-pity to praise. That moment can't last forever. Where you are looking and you see God's hand of providence in your life. And you see that he was working the whole time. And you turn from self-pity to praise. Your eyes come off yourself and they go on to Jesus. And you see that he is behind the scenes. He's been working the whole time. He's been there. He's been right with me. I thought he was against me. And it turns out he has never stopped showing his kindness to the living or to the dead. God has always been there with me. And now I give him the praise. Lord Jesus, thank you for this beautiful story in Ruth. Thank you for your providential, loving care for each of us. And thank you, God, for your grace. Your grace that that goes beyond what we deserve is so much more than we can imagine. And it's over the top. Lord, help us to take our eyes off of us. Lord, those who have been stuck in that state of uh, self-pity, God, I pray that you would nudge them, nudge their face up so they would see you. Lord God, I will ask like I asked the last two services. Lord, would you just for a glimpse today be willing to pull back the curtain so that those who need to see you behind the scenes at work, Lord, so they can get a glimpse of that. Lord Jesus, would you allow them to see your hand, your grace, your providence, God, so that their trust and their faith in you can be renewed? Jesus, would you help us to turn our eyes from ourselves and turn them on to you? In Jesus' name I pray.